Uh, we just heard the Ten Commandments uh, read, and um, we're going to be talking about just one of those commandments this morning. We're going to be talking about uh, keeping the Sabbath. We need to do this commandment. We need to stop breaking it. I like to think that, that Jesus uh, f- brings this commandment in a slightly different form in uh, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, where he says, Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound nice? Doesn't that sound good? How many of us go through our life and we feel that we are weary and carrying heavy burdens? And Jesus seems to make it so simple. Come to me. And I'll give you rest from those burdens. Come to me. Why do, we, why do we need this, this rest so badly? Why do we need this, um, this Sabbath? Why is this important? Well, we can, look at, we can look at our own experience to get an answer to that. Um, it seems to be kind of an obvious kind of need, and you can even go into uh, psychology and all of that to try to figure out, well, what do we really need in terms of rest? That it seems like when you're able to have a day of rest, that you actually are, are better, you're more productive during the week. You actually need that. You can look at that kind of thing. You could just look at your own life of uh, times when you have been very busy or maybe you're in a time right now where you're very busy and you just desperately want rest. So it just seems like, well, I do need it. I don't know where I'm going to find the time to do it or where I'm going to find the time to fit in a break, um, maybe a few hours here or there. Um, but you have that feeling within you that, yes, I, I do need it. We can look at our own personal experience and and pretty easily answer, why do we need Sabbath? But there's also, I think, a biblical answer for why we need Sabbath or why God even values this and prioritizes it. And this gets at the the roots of what Sabbath is about. Um, The Sabbath commandment actually comes in two places in the Bible most clearly, um, and The most clear one is the one we heard from the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. In that version of the Sabbath commandment, it is linked to the creation. That God created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. And in doing that, he blessed and consecrated the Sabbath day. And so we too should rest the same way God worked really hard and then rested. We should work really hard for six days and then rest on the seventh. There's another version of the commandment in Deuteronomy, which actually links more clearly to uh, the Israelites being slaves in Egypt, which is still there in the Exodus story as well, obviously. Um, I didn't put the, the quote in front of me, But in the Deuteronomy text, it basically reminds the people that you were slaves in Egypt. In other words, you you didn't get a day of rest. 
You have to work seven days, so don't forget that. And now God gives them the freedom to have a day off. Now, incidentally, in the ancient world, this idea of a day of rest was unheard of. Jews were the only people who practiced it. And in fact, you can find in Greek ancient writing uh, Jewish people being called lazy because they took a day of rest, whereas Greeks never took a day of rest. They might have had leisure activities, but they didn't have this concept built into their culture of a day off. In Deuteronomy, it gets linked to this idea of you were slaves and now you're free, so don't work yourself as though you're a slave still. Now, I think what happens in Genesis in creation is that the sixth day of creation is really quite important. That's where all the animals are created and where human beings are created. And when human beings are created, they're created in the image of God. And so there's this idea of, well, we maybe are reflecting a little bit about who God is, and maybe we ought to do that as well. If God worked and rested, we should work and rest. But God also gave something else to human beings on that sixth day of creation. Does anyone know what God said to the human beings on that sixth day? Not the Adam and Eve story before that. What did God give to human beings? Dominion, right? We know that word from uh, King James and Revised Standard Versions. God gave dominion over all of creation to human beings. Now, this is actually quite interesting because what we end up doing with this idea of dominion, it's not, uh, by the way, a dominion is not supposed to mean we can do whatever we want with earth, with creation, yet human beings have done a great job of doing whatever we want. It's a trust from God, a stewardship from God, is our form of dominion over things. But what we do as human beings is we kind of think, well, now we have control over stuff and over our lives. And eventually what we do is we will do things like we'll create things like slavery. And we'll enslave other people, whether it's actual real slavery or not. We'll hurt one another. Sin enters into the story very quickly, as we know, in Genesis chapter 2 and 3. But we also, in exercising our dominion over things and over creation, we, we also start to enslave ourselves, right? So we might have dominion over our, uh, over our work week. Or we've got our house that we have. That's, that's, I've got dominion over my house and my personal property. And yet I also have this mortgage that I have to pay off. And so I've got to work and I've got to do all of this really hard. And I want to take a vacation so... And so that I can feel like I have some freedom, but, uh, but I've got to work really hard in order to get that, so I get busy, and now I've got deadlines I've got to meet. Like, this whole idea of we have control, um, I I'm not sure if that's a helpful idea for us. When we think of it as we can just do whatever we want. If we have rampant human freedom, it, it seems to lead to a kind of enslavement. 
Now, what God did was he brought in the law for his people. You heard the Ten Commandments, the opening part of the law. And, and this kind of sets boundaries for human freedom in order for the common good. So you're no longer saying, well, you can do whatever you want, that you just have dominion over everything. But there's some pretty practical things, like don't murder anybody and don't steal. And then there's the commandments that we tend to break, like keeping the Sabbath and don't have any gods before God. And coveting things that your neighbor has. But boundaries for human freedom. The tough part is, is that as soon as we have a law in place, then there will be people that will want to turn others into slaves of that law. They will exercise their dominion in such a way that says, well, you, if you break any of these, then that's terrible. And so by Jesus' time, you've got people, um, generally the, the Pharisees were a sect, that what they did was they built a fence around the law. We don't want to touch the, the core laws. We don't even want to get close to breaking those. So we'll make other laws that prevent us from ever even, even getting to those in, inner laws. So by Jesus' time you had a whole groups of people watching you. Are you breaking a law or are you not breaking a law? So even the law, which was really supposed to give us boundaries for human freedom for the common good, has now kind of been this tool of enslaving people to you better fit this mold in this box. Now we get hints of God's overall and overarching solution in the Old Testament. We, we sometimes want to just jump to Jesus in the New Testament, but we get hints in the Old Testament of what is going to come. And uh, it was interesting, this came up last week, talking about Jesus as son of man. And, uh, and I want to read to you a section um, from the book of Daniel that starts to shift how we understand our dominion over things and over ourselves. And that's that there is one coming who will be given full dominion over all. So in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14, it's you, you've got these, uh, it's a vision that's seen of these different beasts that represent kingdoms, kingdoms of power and authority and dominion that are being held over people. And then this vision. I saw in the, in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, which is a, a way of talking about God, the ancient of days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all nations, peoples, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. And so when Jesus shows up and starts talking about himself as the son of man, this is the vision that people are hearing. This is what people are thinking about. Is Jesus the one who is coming who will have the true dominion? That we're to serve him and that will be the key to being released from the slavery that we, that we kind of have built for ourselves. 
And you'll notice that Jesus gets himself in a real mess with the Pharisees. And one of his real messes is actually around the Sabbath day, where he keeps breaking it on purpose. So there's this uh, one story in Mark chapter 2 where Jesus has, and his disciples have been uh, walking through the grain fields and plucking uh, heads of grain off the, off the uh, grain. And uh, they, um, they get caught. Like, I don't know if the Pharisees are out in the cornfields, you know, watching for people doing work or something. But um, the Pharisees confront Jesus and say, what are you doing letting your disciples do that on the Sabbath day? And Jesus makes the famous statement the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Newer translations put humankind in there, but it has a nicer ring to it with man in there, doesn't it? But it means everybody, men and women. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And what does he mean by that? He means it's not about following the laws and the rules religiously as you're trying to do, Pharisees. It's not that God created us so that we could fulfill his law. It's God created us and then gave us Sabbath as a gift. The the Sabbath was made for us to enjoy. Not, it wasn't the other way around. Now, Jesus is not trying to say, so whatever you want on the Sabbath day, work whatever you want to do. Because his next sentence gives us the key to understanding our relationship to Sabbath. He says, therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. In other words, I can make this declaration, but nobody else can. So if you want to get at what Sabbath is really about, you need to be looking at Jesus and your relationship with him. The Son of Man is also Lord of the Sabbath. He has dominion even over the Sabbath and the laws. So our experience answer of why do we need the Sabbath is, well, because we feel tired. But there's this whole biblical foundation of why we need Sabbath. When we practice Sabbath, what we are doing is we are enacting that we are acting out that we are not Lord. We're basically saying we're relinquishing the dominion that God has given us. We're placing our trust in God and in Christ that everything else that's taking up our time during the week, that that's going to get taken care of. It's going to be waiting for us on Monday morning. When we practice Sabbath, we are basically saying that, no, we we aren't in charge. Jesus is. And it's an act of... I actually think this week, next week we're talking about giving, and I think those two spiritual practices are probably the ones that build trust in God the most. And, and aren't they the ones that we, we have real trouble doing? Taking time off and giving away. 
Now, the Sabbath commandment has two parts to it. One is remember the Sabbath, and I think most of this sermon is actually about remembering the Sabbath, understand its roots, have it in your mind, well, why should we practice the Sabbath? You know, even beyond the, I feel tired, you know, I feel worn out, so I need some time off. There's the why practice it, but the other part of the commandment is keep it holy. And that is not so much about, well, why do we need Sabbath? That is more about, well, how do we practice it? What does it mean to practice the Sabbath? What does it mean to keep the Sabbath holy? Now, we, we have trouble with holiness and understanding what that word even really is. Um, at its root, it means set apart. And you could think of it that way, saying, okay, well, there's six days, and then there's one day that's set apart. But you need to get at, well, what is it set apart for? And really, the only clues that we have in Scripture is that it's set apart to do no work. But there's something else to holiness, which I think we, uh, we have trouble tapping into and knowing exactly what, what it is. Um, now imagine if my jacket was troubling me, I want to take my jacket off, and I need a place to hang my jacket, and I go over here, and I'm just going to hang it right here. No, right? Absolutely not. I can't do that. So I would have to take the extra work to walk out, if I'm going to kind to my jacket and not just throw it on the, on the chair. Go out there, find a hanger, and hang it up properly, right? I'm not going to go over and hang it on the side of the cross. Because there's something about the cross in our sanctuary that is wholly set apart. But that's how we treat the Sabbath. I'll just get that little bit of work done. Rather than doing the extra work of figuring out how can you do that work on the day that isn't holy, right? Like, I don't have time now to, to, to make you wait while I go and hang up my jacket, so I just put it back on. But, but we've got to figure out, if you're going to keep the Sabbath holy, you have to use the other days and remember that the Sabbath is holy, so there's certain things that I'm not going to do on the Sabbath. And it's not just, uh, you know, retired folks, you're not off the hook. It's not just your job, your employment. It's, you know, housework. Um, it could be all kinds of things. If you're going to follow what the Jewish rabbis say, you're not supposed to use electricity on the Sabbath. Good luck. <laughs> but imagine if you did that. You know, imagine if, you know, the kids had wanted to play video games, but imagine if part of your Sabbath was, I'm going to limit as much as possible. I'm not going to send emails. I'm not going to, I'm not going to turn the TV on. Imagine if we worked out how to make that day truly holy 
because we're doing the extra thinking on those other days to try to figure it out. So if you go back far enough, people would even, right, they prepare their meals the day before the Sabbath in order to just the, do the bare minimum on the Sabbath just to lay the food out. And so in Jesus' time, you'll find even in the Gospels talk of the day of preparation, the day before the Sabbath. There's a lot of things you've got to get done because the next day is holy to God. I think maybe that gets a little bit at uh, this idea of holiness. It is set apart, but there's something else about it. And we've just seemed to have lost that. Now, Christians, incidentally, we are, we're, we're quite good at blaming somebody else for this problem as well, right? We're really good at blaming the government, especially for, well, you know, stores are open and, and there's so many things going on on Sunday, and, uh, but we need to take responsibility. Okay, stores are open. But if that's your Sabbath, if your Sabbath is today, then are you swinging by... Tim Horton's on the way? Are you taking it? Yeah, I see the Tim Horton's cover. That's okay. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Most Sundays I stop by Tim Horton's on the way here. But, but just, to, just to actually think about what it is that we're doing, right? And if, if on one side of our mouth we're saying, oh, things are open on Sunday, yet uh, you know, we're actually going out and we're shopping, well, we can't do that. Shopping, incidentally, needs to fit into your things of what you probably shouldn't do on the Sabbath. Because you'll notice in the commandments, it's not just about, well, you have to practice your day of rest. You also are responsible for your slaves, and everyone in your household also has to have a day of rest. And if you want to translate that to today, because most of us don't, hopefully do not have slaves, It's, are you causing somebody else to have to do work? So you go to a restaurant or whatever, well, yes, it's going to be open anyway. But I have a, a friend who, their perspective on Sabbath is to say, well, I'm not going to do that because that's me just participating in the system that says that you have to be working. Now, yes, it's a lot more complicated today because we've got 24 hours a day, seven days a week economy. It's much harder. But I think we need to start to try to figure out how do I at least practice Sabbath in my own life? It, and, and if not for the sake of, of society and things working out there, for your own sake. And for the sake of your relationship with God, you need that time off. And it's a, it's a world of difference to have a day of Sabbath rather than, well, a couple of hours here, three hours there. That's not the same thing. You should probably have rest every day as well. The end of the, the quote that I started with from Jesus from Matthew 11. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. What's the rest of it? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light.
Take my yoke upon you. You know what a yoke is, right? The yoke is, the best picture for a human being is that uh, you, you would wear a yoke to carry like two buckets of water, like a little stick that goes out like this, right? And at times and places where slavery is practiced, you would have the yoke of slavery. Those who wore yokes were slaves. Isn't it interesting what Jesus is saying? Because it, by implication, what he's saying is, you already have a yoke upon you. God gave you dominion, and you've built all of this stuff up, and it is weighing you down. You already have a yoke of slavery upon you. And it, you can't wear two yokes. So when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, what's the implication? The one that's on you right now has to be removed. And this is exactly what Jesus does in the cross. You want to practice Sabbath and get true rest. And, and Jesus gets at the heart of the matter because he's not saying, you know, get at rest from your physical labors. What does he say? If I'm gentle and humble in heart, you will find rest for your souls. Let Jesus remove the yoke of slavery from you and give you his yoke. That's actually what true freedom is. True freedom isn't, you know, I can do whatever I want. We think we have true freedom in Canada. But most of us walk around under a yoke of slavery True freedom is actually having, uh, having, your, having the yoke of Jesus, being Jesus' slave. Let him remove the yoke of slavery and give you his yoke because he is gentle and humble in heart. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So our challenge this week is to try to actually practice Sabbath for a day. And if you already do that, I mean, I, I actually do this on Fridays. It's very hard for me to do it on Sundays. Um, do this on Fridays. But lots of Fridays, things creep in. Not necessarily church work, but housework and all, all kinds of like, things happen, right? So try to plan your week, whatever your Sabbath day is. Try to plan your other days so that you can actually take the Sabbath. And go a little farther, even if you're someone who takes Sabbath, go a little farther with it than you might normally. So you might say, well, okay, this week we're going we're gonna to turn off the TV, or this week we're, we're, our Sabbath is not going to include going out to eat at a restaurant um, or, or something. You know, uh, Figure out a way to go farther with the way you keep Sabbath. Um, what, what uh, makes sense for you. Um, this is really important to me. Some of us might not uh, really believe uh, and have trouble um, with, with our faith. And our, our faith doesn't always lead to changed actions. So I can talk to you all I want to about Sabbath and about, uh, about what we should believe about things. But that doesn't necessarily always translate into changed action. But
interesting thing about changing our actions is it often leads us and moves us to better belief. It's really interesting. So like I said, I think Sabbath actually builds our trust in God and in Christ. Probably more than listening to, you know, 52 sermons. So I'd really encourage you to, to keep Sabbath. Um, because it can lead you to a better faith, a more in-depth faith. Uh, let's pray, and then uh, we're going to hear a song. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you for the gift of Sabbath that you give, the gift of rest. We pray, O oh God, that you can help us by your Holy Spirit to receive that gift, to take it, um, to keep the Sabbath holy and devoted to you. God, we pray that you can grant us your rest. Help us to allow your son to remove the yoke of slavery from us and replace it with his yoke. Help us to be his servants and to enjoy the life that you have given, not to be bogged down by rules or regulations or laws or the stresses of life, but to embrace the joy that Jesus gives. We pray now in his name. Amen.